before we read uh, our text, which is primarily uh, Acts 11, I wanted to ask you, last week we, we finished uh, Acts 9, and I wanted to just give you a little early morning quiz. Who can remind me, and all of us, what, what's one thing that we considered or learned last week, or maybe you had a question left over that you didn't get a chance to ask? Do you remember uh, anything about last week? And I quiz myself like this because we forget, right? So uh, you can look at your notes, but do you have any remembrance, or did anything stick with you that maybe during the week you actually remembered something from Acts 9 that touched your heart uh, that you'd like to, to share? Can anyone bring up something? See, that's why we have a morning. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, persecution. One of the themes in Acts in the life of Saul and the saints is persecution. And even obviously from the beginning of time as we looked at Abel, God's people have been persecuted from the beginning. Anything else? Yes. Thank you, sweetie. I didn't pay her to mention that either. So she... <laughs> Anything? Yes. Yeah, Any? Yes, Lisa. Yes. Yes. Amen. And we're going to see more of that today and, and these saints. And, you know, if, if Christ does not return soon and somebody told the history of Pilgrim Bible Church, one of the points are the people and the love that we have among one another, which has been from the beginning of the church. Amen. Yes. Yes, sister. Yes, yes. And most of those acts are unseen and seem so small, but God uses them in, in great ways. I mean, I, I doubt Barnabas really knew uh, what Saul would become, and yet he had this, this act of love toward him. Yes, yes. Anything else? Yes. Yes. Well, that's a great segue because that's where we left off and that's where we'll begin today. Uh, Before we get to chapter 11 of Acts, just listen to two verses from Acts 9 or just flip back there. Acts 9, uh, 28 through 
let's see, let's see, where are we here? Sorry, Acts 8, uh, verses 1 through 3. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that is, Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And then over to chapter 11. The next time we hear about Saul is going to be here in chapter 11. And our primary passage will be verses 19 through 30, Acts 11, beginning at verse 19. And think of what we just read. Now, verse 19, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But... There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then... When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it all in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now flip over to 1225. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So we had this, these interim chapters, which are primarily about Peter's preaching and the Holy Spirit coming on the Gentiles also, and how God had granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. And chapter 12 is also about Peter's uh, um, arrest and deliverance, uh, but particularly the, the theme of these chapters in between are 
God's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, which links with our passage. That's why it seems that Luke gathered these um, these stories together by the Holy Spirit to show that the gospel was coming to the Gentiles as well. A very interesting time in church history. Now, looking at chapter 11, verse 19, again, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, that is, in the province of Syria, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. This was about a hundred miles from Jerusalem. They traveled a long way, at least ten, ten days, maybe two weeks journey. Uh, they were, they were scattered, uh, and they made their way to Phoenicia. And then it says, and to Cyprus, which is 140 miles by sea to the island. And some went all the way north to Antioch, which is 280 miles away. They were scattered near and far. But the disciples were speaking about Jesus to who? Who did it say? Jews only. To Jews only. The gospel first came to the Jews. And they continued on that path speaking to Jews alone. So verse 19 began with, so then. Now verse 20, but. Now I wanted to check with Tom and he can, he can correct me as a Greek teacher. But by my reading, verse 19 begins with uh, the men and then verse 20 with death. So on the one hand, they, they were scattered and only spoke to Jews. But on the other hand, there were some that would speak to the Greeks. So there's this contrast, men and death, for those of us that know baby Greek. Uh, but it's one of the basic truths. And, and I saw it here and I thought it was interesting. Sometimes I wish they would translate it on the one hand, but then on the other hand. So, but, verse 20, on the other hand, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. They didn't exclude the Jews, but they continued to speak to the Greeks, adding because the others were only speaking to the Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so within the group of those that were dispersed because of the persecution, some went and preached to the Jews in all these areas to <clears throat> excuse me, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, but then there was some others, particularly these men of Cyprus and uh, again, I hope you have a map in the back of your Bible. Sorry, I don't have one to throw up here on the screen behind us. But you can see, <clears throat> if you have the map of the whole region, if you can see my Bible, I've got the horizontal version. And you can see down in the lower right is Jerusalem. Then you can see some of these places, and particularly men of Cyprus, which is the island in the north uh, east of the Mediterranean. And it's, it's still called Cyprus today. You can travel there. And you can see that the main ports are Salamis and Paphos. But some went, um, some of these men were from Cyprus. Some of them were from Cyrene. Uh, do you know where Cyrene was? It's, it's modern day Libya. One of the coastal, uh, cities. It's not on my map uh, in this case, but you can find, I hope you have a good 
you can get a book of a Bible maps. They're very helpful to get our head around what's going on. But these men of Cyrene, it was a Roman province that had a thriving Jewish population. And it um, was one of the oldest and most important of the five Greek cities in the region. And it's about 900 miles, almost a 1,000 miles away from Antioch. So that was a significant trip that these men of Cyrene had to, to make to get all the way to Antioch by sea. They were risking life and limb to, to spread the gospel of Jesus. And they were going to Antioch. Again, if you have your map still, you can see that Antioch is in uh, right on the edge of the northeast corner of the Mediterranean, uh, not far from the coast, and it's in modern-day Turkey, the southern southeasternmost uh, city of Turkey. Uh, that's where Antioch was. It had a population of around 250,000 people, including 25,000 Jews, and it was the number three Roman city after Rome and Alexandria. So it was no insignificant city. That is the city of Antioch. And by the way, uh, one of the seven who were set aside along with Stephen was a man named Nicholas. He was a proselyte from Antioch. So there had already been a work of God going on, uh, maybe from the time of Jesus, we don't know, but the, a proselyte, uh, to Judaism, who then was saved, was this man, Nicholas. But note what is happening. We saw that on the one hand, some were preaching to Jews only. On the other hand, some were speaking to Greeks also. There was a massive shift. Yes, Tom? Yes? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yes. In Turkey, Turkey, Syria, Egypt, uh, North Africa, and around the Mediterranean. Absolutely, and it's we forget, and and because history has changed so much in a sense of what what it is today in these lands where there's very few Christians, or it's even illegal to preach the gospel. Um, what a transition, and may God uh, turn it around. Yes, thank you, brother. So there was this massive shift from preaching to the Jews only as the new covenant had begun, and the covenant people of God were no longer merely Jews, but it was believing Jews and Gentiles. So put our minds, and we're going to see throughout Acts, this shift from a Jewish uh, church, if you will, loosely, a Jewish covenant people of God to Jews and Gentiles becoming the New Testament church. It was profound and it took them time and there would be debates, massive debates. Uh, Acts uh, 15, the Jerusalem Council, and even in Galatians we see Judaizers and many other things which will hit going forward. But keep this transitional period in mind of moving preaching the gospel from to not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles, and then a Jewish and Gentile church in Christ. A profound time. The, the Jews, even the believing Jews, had their 
a theological and cultural world rock, to put it in, in modern parlance, right? It was, they, they couldn't handle it. And often they reacted, uh, the unbelieving Jews obviously reacted violently, but even the believing Jews, and read Galatians to see later that James and even Barnabas was tripped up, and even Peter himself didn't quite get the lessons that God had taught him that there's no longer an unclean people. It's those that are in Christ. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, but thinking back to uh, this this idea that the, the gospel went forth because of the persecution, lesson one is God may use the persecution of Christians to produce Christian preachers. God may and did use the persecution of Christians to produce Christian preachers. The exact thing that the persecutors wanted to do to destroy the Christian church actually was turned on its head and was used by God to produce Christian preachers and Christian churches. If you've ever been in firefighting, one time in the army we had to fight fire and they gave us these these uh, big uh, canvas flaps on a stick and you would you were supposed to put it down lightly and, and squash the flames. But if you hit the flames like this, what happened to the flames? They shot out. And it's the same way with persecution and the church, as, as Rita mentioned. We, we need to marvel at this. And even today, how God will, will take a persecuted saint and do great things. And there's many stories that I'm sure you have heard or you can research and hear and read, of course, from the New Testament till now, how persecution actually can, in God's hand, spread the gospel and even raise up Christian preachers. Our task today has not changed, that we too must preach Jesus. We must be those that are preaching Jesus. We are literally bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't get beyond the preaching of Jesus. We preach the entire Bible, but centrally, we preach the Lord Jesus. And that emphasis must remain or we'll depart from biblical Christianity. Verse 21, the, the good news and the results continue, and the hand of the Lord was with them, the preachers and the people hearing the word, and a large number who believed Turn to the Lord. Lesson two, gospel outreach is dependent on the Lord's hand for success. Obviously, we know this, but it's very clear in these words. The hand of the Lord was with them. An anthropomorphism. God does not have hands, but figuratively, he was blessing the preaching, the teaching, the fellowship, all of it to accomplish his work. And a large number believed and turned to the Lord. We are dependent on the Lord's hand to have any success, whether it's handing out tracts or in the workplace when, when someone asks you a question and you say, by the grace of God, uh, it's because of my Savior. Why are you like this? Because, because of Christ. It's the same way today. We need God's hand to bless our words and our work and, and all that we do. We need His hand to bless. And his blessing resulted in these large numbers who believed. They, they believed in the Lord Jesus. And they were turning, which I think illustrates even repentance. They were turning from what they had believed to the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. They believed and they turned to the Lord. 
1 Corinthians 3, 7, So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. We are merely, relatively, we're nothing. It's God who causes the growth. It's the Lord's hand that causes someone to be born again. We can't do it. Romans 9.17, we often plead in the prayer meeting, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. We are are stopped, we cannot save people. And Acts makes that clear over and over again. We could present the gospel perfectly. That alone, that presentation, will not save anyone. We seek to prove, but we don't trust in the proving, as we said last week. We trust in God and we plead with Him, Lord, bless this track. Bless this opportunity at work. Lord, help my family member that I've been, I gave a Bible to them. I, I wrote them an email. Lord, you caused the growth. Lord, for your name's sake, extend your hand. And when we pray for revival, we pray for salvation, we're dependent and waiting on the Lord to do it. That gives us comfort, and we know it doesn't depend on us. Yes, we are to be a means in God's hand, but the results are in His. And that is glorious. And when people are saved, we don't get the credit. He gets the credit. Verse 22 the news about them, that is the, the, probably the Greeks primarily being saved, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. The, the report made its way back to, we might say loosely, the mother church, the, the first church at Jerusalem. The apostles were there, and how it got there we don't know, but the news uh, reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, uh, the apostles, the elders in the church, and they immediately sent Barnabas to check it out, to minister, to find out what's going on. Uh, They're not only preaching to Jews, but they're preaching to Gentiles, and many are believing. They wanted to find out, and was Peter not there because he had been preaching to the Gentiles as well? Um, You could research that more, but a lot was happening in the early church. A big transition was occurring. So they send this Barnabas. And remember, Barnabas was a Levite from where? Do you remember? Cyprus. He was from Cyprus. So maybe there was some connection. We don't know. But he was from Cyprus. Um, his name was Barnabas, which translated is the son of encouragement. So he's going to continue in this same stream and really worthy of the name of a son of encouragement, he traveled almost 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. It took him a month probably to get there. It was a long journey. We read these verses as if it's next door. I'm heading from Lakewood to Tacoma. No, this was a month's journey. It was a long trip to get to Antioch. Verse 23, a month later, he arrives And it says, then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them. He was continuing to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. He couldn't believe his eyes how many Gentiles had been saved by the grace of God. 
without the grace of God, is there salvation? No. We had it up here for two weeks. Sola gratia, by grace alone. For by grace are you saved. Its salvation is all of grace. He witnessed the grace of God. I don't think I've heard many people describe even someone's salvation or even a revival as witnessing the grace of God. And that's what we need to look for and to pray for. And when we see it, not to be necessarily skeptical, we need to be wise, yes. Maybe we hear of someone in Hollywood. I read an article recently about that that woman in Hollywood who tattoo artist and and she's apparently born again. And yeah, I admit sometimes I'm a bit skeptical or or a singer or or so called someone, but let, we don't want to be naive, but we also want to rejoice in the grace of God that he can save anyone. And and when we hear it, let's pray for that person whether anyone you hear of that that seems to have been saved, let's pray and and rejoice in the grace of God. Lesson three, like Barnabas, let us rejoice when we see the grace of God at work. Luke 15.10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over how many sinners who repent? One. If one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. Or even God rejoices because it's in the presence of the angels of God. All of heaven rejoices and so should we when we see or hear about one person saved and God is still saving people. Maybe it's not in our sphere. Maybe we're still planting and working and the P&W is difficult. It's a hard field to hoe. But let us be alert and listen for who is God saving? May it be people in Silicon and Tacoma and Puyallup all around, those that we have witnessed to, Lord, save them by your grace. And then may we rejoice as Barnabas did. Not only did he rejoice, but he started to encourage them, sent on a mission, a man uh, with this uh, apostolic uh, practice being sent with a mission to encourage in the Lord, the saints at Antioch. And this phrase, um, I love it, that he encouraged them, he was encouraging them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. I heard a sermon on this verse years ago and and this um, remain true to the Lord, prosmenein, to be toward or to, to cleave, and we probably know the, the baby Greek again, meno, to abide or remain, to, to cleave to the Lord. Not only believe in the Lord at the beginning, but to continue to cleave to Him, to embrace Him, to abide in Christ, and to keep going with resolute heart, remaining toward and cleaving to and abiding in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, abide in me and you will have fruit. Barnabas told these new Antiochian believers the same thing. And in the midst of this, people had been saved, the Greeks had been saved, and he's teaching and preaching more. And many more considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. There was a revival, if you will. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Barnabas didn't raise up the church of Barnabas. He didn't want people to say, oh yes, Barnabas is my pastor. It's not wrong to... The Bible says we should appreciate those who labor among us, but we're not followers of men. And we'll see that in the coming weeks even more. 
But did Barnabas just want to rally around and have the Barnabas ministry? No, verse 25, who did he go to look for? Verse 25? Saul, yes. He, he thought of, God brought to mind, I need to get a helper. I need to get someone that is really suited to be here. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. We haven't heard of Saul for in the Bible here, 11 years. 11 years passed since we last heard of Saul. He had been up in Tarsus all that time unless he traveled elsewhere. Verse 26, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It seems the Spirit of God prompted Barnabas to to go get Saul, his friend that he had brought to the apostles. Remember, and after Saul was saved, and Barnabas came there, and nobody wanted to be around him. They were afraid, but Barnabas took him by the hand, if you will, and brought him to the apostles and said, "This man met Jesus, saw Jesus, and preaches Jesus." And then they they were preaching and teaching a bit, and then they had to send Saul away to Tarsus. He had been there for at least eight years after we had the three years plus the eight years, now 11 years. So he had been in Tarsus all of that time, but Barnabas went to get him. And when he found him, he brought him back. Again, this was a lot of traveling, 130 miles from Antioch to Tarsus by land, traveling back and forth. And maybe he remembered the words that God said to Ananias that Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the who? Gentiles. Saul was particularly saved, but all, and the kings and the sons of Israel. He wasn't only going to preach to Gentiles, but primarily Saul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter had to learn that very hard lesson that he even struggled with, but the Apostle Paul was particularly the Apostle to the Gentiles, and when Barnabas saw all these Gentiles being saved, he knew, he knew the man for the job, and it was Saul of Tarsus. So he went to get him, the chosen instrument of Christ. They met with the church and taught many disciples. Didoxi. We see that, that root word, didasco, and we, we read of the didache, this teaching. They were teaching. And I always love to note the different words that are used in the New Testament for teaching and instruction. So lesson four, the church's chief practice has always been to make disciples. From the beginning, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of what? All the nations. Make disciples. What's another word for disciples? Learners. Yes. The church does many things as we preach Jesus, but we are to make learners. We are to school people in the Bible. All scriptures profitable for teaching. So, uh, young people, old people, if you move away when you look for a church, one of the things you should look for in a biblical church is what? Teaching. Are they teaching the Bible? Amidst all that they do, are they teaching? And that's why, even in our worship service of an hour and 15, an hour and a half, primarily, we're given to teaching. And in the New Testament, we see over and over, 
that they are teaching and preaching the truth. The church's chief practice has always been to make disciples, to make learners, to teach and educate us about Jesus and about the whole Bible. That's a good description of a biblical church. May God use us and may we continue to do the same, to make disciples of all the world. And then this beautiful phrase, they were first called Christians. Now, this the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, and it's always of in terms of others speaking about us, if you will, the people of God. Uh, and it's also in Acts 26, 28 and 1 Peter 4, 16. They were called Christians. Uh, but these Christians are, are at least those who follow Christ as disciples or learners. Those Christians are people who follow and imitate Christ and the teachings of Christ. They were called also the way. Uh, there were other descriptions given to the people of God, but this one obviously has stuck for a few thousand years. Christians, people that follow Christ. May we walk worthy of the name of a Christian. They were first called Christians at Antioch, a primarily, it seems, Gentile congregation, but also Jews were there. The, the, the main church was at Jerusalem. Then we hear of this church. There were other gatherings of God's people. We mentioned all those other cities. But here at Antioch, they were first called Christians. Remember, it was a major city of Rome with 250,000 people. And God was doing a great work bringing in not only Jews, but Gentiles into the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets, plural, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. The Holman says all over the Roman world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Now there were Apostles among the people of God, obviously, but there were also prophets. And we're going to see some other words, other descriptions about the, the leaders in the churches and in the church at this time, but here we're introduced to the prophets, uh, at least describing we had Old Testament prophets, but here are some prophets in the church from Jerusalem coming down to Antioch. And by the way, Agabus will be mentioned again in Acts 21.10. He prophesied about Paul's imprisonment, the same Agabus. But here, in our text, by the Spirit, he prophesies a great famine. And the date here is probably about 44 A.D. 44 A.D. is when this prophecy occurs, we believe. And by the way, other writings of the era... Uh, Josephus and others talk about famines from 45 to 47 in Egypt. And Egypt had a lot of grain. They were producing a lot of grain. So Egypt was one that was mentioned. Syria, of course, Damascus and the whole Syrian area, Judea and Greece. Uh, other records, of course, uh, confirm what the Bible says about this great famine in the region, at least, maybe globally, uh, 
the, the known world or the Roman world, we're not exactly sure, but at least in these areas there was a massive famine coming. Now, we've been talking about dates, you know, the three years, the eight years, now 44 AD, and we have a good take on this because it mentions, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. When we see these uh, rulers or leaders, and this was Emperor Claudius who reigned from 41 to 54. So we get a date here, and I like dates. I like to know in my Bible, okay, what's going on? What's the date? Again, we believe that this prophecy was in 44. Claudius was reigning from 41 to 54 AD. Remember, Saul was converted about 33. So if you add 33 plus 11, I know it's early, you get 44 AD. We can't be positive on these things, but it helps us to get our bearing. Uh, And if you like dates, you've got some dates here. Around 44, the, the prophet Agabus told the church at Antioch, there's going to be a famine. Now, verse 29. What are their reaction to this prophecy? Wow, that's amazing. No, verse 29, it says, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And they did this, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Those that could give, did give. They had means, they were moved by the Spirit of God, and they willingly gave in proportion to what they had. Now, what was the, or who made up the Antiochian church? What type of people, primarily? Well, primarily it's saying who who were the ones being saved in the Antioch church? Gentiles. And who were the people primarily making up the church in Jerusalem? Jews. So the Gentile church was sending relief to the Jewish church, if you will. So this great shift was happening into the new covenant and there was a, the church was made of, of Jews and Gentiles and they were really struggling. And what does the first major church in Antioch do but sends gifts to their Jewish brothers and sisters? Doesn't that add a little more weight? I mean, there was a lot of animosity, but they were immediately moved to help the brethren, the fellow disciples. And Jesus said, Inasmuch as you do it to the least of these, of my brethren, you've done it to me. We may help the world, but we must and particularly be concerned about the brethren. And we see it here in the early church. Lesson 5 Let us imitate the early disciples and look for opportunities to relieve the saints near and far. Look for opportunities as much as we can. We may not have much, but maybe we can give a little to help the needs of the saints. And and as a church, we do have our, our missionaries in India that we help, and we even have sought to have that distributed to some needy preachers in in India. Maybe it's the, the brethren in Maui that lost their home. 
Maybe it's some other Christian that you know of that's suffering. We, we yes, and our, our local church does that within. Over the decades, we look who, who has a need. Someone had a medical need. Someone had a housing need. Someone had a car need. Someone needed glasses. By God's grace, the elders seek to take the offerings and meet those needs. And, and we don't always announce it. Hey, we just bought glasses for so-and-so. No, by God's grace, as a church and then individually, we do this. We look at our means we have. Maybe we don't have much, but we can do something. We can bring uh, goodies or a meal to someone in need. We look for the needs of the body and we give willingly. I praise the Lord and may we do it even more as we have the opportunity. And these Gentile believers gave to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, it's a beautiful picture and, and may we imitate it. And then we jump over to 1225, concluding this uh, section, 1225, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So they t- went on that uh, that trip. I mean, this was 280 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. There and back again would be at least two months. And if they stopped at other churches or, or groups where there were Christians, they were going for several months. So 12.25 says, finally they returned from Jerusalem. They had delivered, whether it was gold and silver or they had other things on donkeys, maybe clothes, we don't know, food, uh, whatever, but they had delivered it to at least the elders of the church in Jerusalem and maybe to other centers on their path. And I, I was in, it was interesting to note, um, they fulfilled their mission. Uh, we use missionary commonly, but it's really not the, the word, at least we don't have it translated in English, but their mission or literally ministry uh, here, um, it's an interesting word, but they took along with them this man, uh, John Mark, and we'll hear of him again. Um, but it, we noted previously the work of the gospel is a team event. They, they were looking for helpers. The church always needs helpers, and I, it's a good question we can ask ourselves: Am I helping the church? We all have a role to play. Each of us have something we can do to bless others, to love one another, to to take out the garbage, um, to set up the chairs, to send a text, to call someone, to deliver a meal, whatever it is, helpers. And even Barnabas and Saul took along John to help. Maybe he was teaching, maybe he was delivering the message. Uh, We don't have all the details yet, but they took along John Mark. The work of the gospel is a team event. May it always be so. May it not be true that 20% of the church does most of the work. May every one of us be engaged in the work of the gospel. And by God's grace, I believe we generally are. May we excel still more. By the way, in 12.12, Acts 12.12, it said, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. So there was obviously, uh, Paul had met Peter, Barnabas knew Peter, and they knew this woman Mary, the mother of John Mark. So there's a lot of connections that we just have to keep trying to understand. Uh, but 
there's a connection between John, Mark, and Peter, and Barnabas and Saul. More of that later. Our time is merely gone. Just in review, we noted that God may use the persecution of Christians to produce Christian preachers. Second, gospel outreach is dependent on the Lord's hand for success. Like Barnabas, let us rejoice when we see the grace of God at work. Fourth, the church's chief practice has always been to make disciples. Fifth, let us imitate the early disciples and look for opportunities to relieve the saints near and far. What a beautiful picture of the grace of God in establishing the church at Antioch. Um, There's much here. Do you have any comments or questions as we wrap up? Yes, brother. Yes. John Mark, uh, I'm not sure if he was one of was with the apostles in the time of Christ or not. We'll have to research. Does anyone know the answer? Because I, I don't. I think he's younger and later, maybe. Um, but he saw the miracles of what the apostles were doing in Acts, for sure, to your point. And he was an eyewitness of what was happening in the early church and spreading that, yes. Anything else? Yes. Yes. In the Gospels, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's a good point, yes. I mean, I think even in the Gospels, there was the apostles were often called the disciples, the twelve, but there were other disciples, and Jesus taught about, if you want to be my disciple, this is what you do, and it was growing, and then through Acts, that was really the common name of, of believers in Acts are the disciples. And I think that's why a lot of churches, uh, I think even one of the churches in India, Disciples Community Church, is that right? And denominations have used that because that's one of the common descriptions of us. And, and may it be truly that we are disciples of Christ. Anything else? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's been a whirlwind here in Acts 11. We thank you for your work, the preaching of Christ, and Lord, how you raised up churches and saved people, how the message went forth that people believed and turned to you in droves, and that you were uniting the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers into one church in Christ. We praise you for the unity that Christ brought and brings. And may we uh, be faithful disciples to love any disciple of Christ, discerning, yes, but full of love and charity and generosity as we have the means. Lord, continue to build your church today here at Pilgrim. May the gospel go forth from our lips and from our lives. And even in the town of Stilicum, even the sign, even sermon audio, Lord, 
use your word to accomplish your work by your grace. Even today, bring in people to hear the gospel and be saved, Lord. And we will rejoice in your gracious work. Thank you for saving us. Use us as your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.